With the recent resignation of a senior AI pioneer from Google, citing the reason he quit is so he could speak more freely about the dangers of the technology and its ability to become smarter than humans, much faster than experts anticipated, it is important we all start to pay a little more attention to the topic of artificial intelligence and both its positive and perhaps negative aspects. For this podcast episode, I therefore wanted to invite a research duo who are investigating the subject through a project titled Intelligence. Dr. Annalene Swillen has an expanded jewelry practice involving research in the arts, education, curation and writing. And Greg Scherlings is a composer, sound engineer and data scientist. To discuss their work and to ponder this exciting yet challenging topic with me, I'm excited to welcome Annalene and Greg. Hi, Sophie. Hi. So, to start, Annalene and Greg, could you tell me a little bit more about yourself and what it is that you do? Yes, sure. Um, so, as you've just nicely introduced, um, I'm a postdoctoral researcher and tutor at Bake Selmet School of Arts in Hasselt and Hasselt University. And indeed, like you say, I uh, currently call my practice expanded. Um, I'm in jewelry, but actually mainly my work is about jewelry. I um, currently am working on performances, um, collaborative projects. Um, recently, I created or co-created an exhibition. So I'm working with these different media, let's say, um, working with platforms, creating platforms to indeed reflect on jewelry and at the moment, more specifically, jewelry in a digital age. So um, what that means for how jewelry is made, but also how it is presented and how it is experienced. So uh, I mainly come from the field of uh, sound and music. I work as a composer, a sound designer and sound engineer, mainly for artworks and movies. But as a side gig, I also work as a data scientist. A few, year, few years ago in 2020, we founded Artificial Intelligence together. And this is actually, currently we call it a fluid collective. And it consists of six people working on the intersection of jewelry, um, graphic design, music, XR performance and data science. And it's our aim to connect people, um, practices and technologies um, to explore more than human co-creation with machine learning. And that probably sounds very abstract, but I'm sure that we will dive into that during this conversation. Your latest research project focuses on artificial intelligence, but what is artificial intelligence? So um, it's a very general term and uh, there's a lot of hype involved. So lots of people mean different things with AI, but the way it mainly comes in the news now, you could say it's actually called machine learning. It's about learning a machine, a task, and getting it to improve on that task by giving it more data. That doesn't sound as magical, but that's like the, the backbone of a lot of the things we see today, what we're calling AI, yeah. And are there any examples, sort of practical examples that we could use to sort of explain it even more? When, when I was getting into it, they were always talking about like, uh, imagine... Uh, an algorithm that learns to differentiate cats from dogs. Then came stuff like imagine a self-driving car. Now we're now we're talking about these large language models like JTTP and those generative models like 
Dali mm -hmm. and uh, so it, it has uh, the what what is AI has has changed in the public eye, but behind all of them is a very um, the base the basic technology behind them is very similar in that they're all uh, founded on deep learning networks. And so, where has both of your interest in machine learning, artificial intelligence, come from? That's an interesting question because for me it was really. Um, during my PhD, which I defended in 2019, participation, collaboration were already very important for me and also digital media. And so I started wondering or I became curious to try to um, imagine something or collaborate with something that was a, an other than human intelligence. And I started wondering if AI could perhaps um, envision something beyond human imagination, like how could AI help me perhaps in envisioning or imagining something that I myself as a human or perhaps humans in general would not be able to come up with. So I think for me, that was the initial interest. But then soon I started to become more interested in what I just mentioned, this AI as a collaborative partner for co-creating jewelry, in fact. So yeah, moving a bit from seeing it as a tool to, to a collaborator in that sense. And also actually Greg inspired me um, because he was already looking into machine learning uh, way before I was uh, becoming interested in it. And um, through him, I discovered all these artists, fine arts working with machine learning and AI. And at that moment in 2020 in jewelry, there were no experiments happening, at least uh, to the best of my knowledge. So I started wondering, would yeah, what would it mean for the jewelry field, and would it raise different questions than it does in uh, the fine arts community? So I think that both this idea of imagining something beyond humans, but also the the fact that it was not happening yet in jewelry, that both uh, triggered my curiosity to to start working with it. Yeah, yeah. For me, it was basically I think this idea that. Uh... As I, I don't have a, a, a background in computer science, so for me it was at the at the time very hard to imagine how the hell these things worked. How could they uh, how could they solve similar tasks than humans could, or how could they even outperform humans in certain tasks? And that really drove my curiosity, and that's how I got into it. I, I was really interested in this idea because, like. Um, I had this very basic understanding of programming, and then you think it's like a a flow chart where you have where you have choices, and you just have to program every choice a computer will make. But you will never get to these types of algorithms that AI uh, where AI are based on today. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I was very curious how it worked. Yeah, artificial intelligence or machine learning, if we want to use the right term, is based on data. What is data what can data be and what is it that you are collecting to support your research and perhaps how much data do you need it sounds so obvious in a sense but when you try to define it it becomes much harder but um we were talking about it before as well and i think it has yeah it's information um it's also important that it can be represented digitally um, perhaps you can see data as um, facts or information from which then conclusions can be drawn. Um, usually it's statistics um, or references or analysis. 
we also want to mention that it's very important to 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 yeah keep in mind that data sounds um, neutral, but it's not. There can be a lot of bias involved. Yeah, preconceptions creep into the data. Exactly. So when people assemble a data set, often preconceptions slip into that, sometimes also or often unbeknownst. Um, but this can, of course, influence the analysis and influence the output. And it's very important to be aware of that because it's a danger. And in our own projects, I think a big difference is that we don't use data to make analysis of um, of that information. But at the moment, we really see it as artistic material. So maybe it makes things more clear if I give an example or like a case study of our um, research. So in 2021, we launched a call for jewelry artists to share images of their work. And in total, 124 artists and designers responded and shared the uh, photos of their jewelry pieces. And we um, used those photos to train a machine learning algorithm. And then we co-created with all those artists and with machine learning, um, what we call Orna mutations. And then for us, it's not necessarily about analyzing the output um, to say something about the input, let's say, but it's rather about the speculative aspect and, and this idea of co-creating with that many people um, perhaps AI actually makes these expansive co-creations possible. So it's more about co-creating with that many people and working on one artistic project or piece um, together. I'm happy to share that uh, we would like to invite all listeners for our current project. It's called Ornamisms. It's similar to Ornamutations, but now we are actually looking for photos of jewelry um, worn on the body, so pictured in close-up that you see the piece and also the skin. And in these ornamisms that we want to co-create with AI, the body and the piece will start to merge and become this hybrid creature. And the goal of this project is to speculate further about um, bodies, hybrid bodies, because often in AI or in these AI-generated images, at least in my opinion, I think the body can also seem very detached from the AI-generated images. So this is also specifically in the domain of jewelry an attempt to bring back in the body and the skin and the wearability and the tactility. So that's the current project that we are working on. And we wish or we hope that we can connect with people worldwide. And we don't really have like a specific number in mind of the amount of data that we, we hope to reach. But last time we had nearly a thousand photographs and actually, we hoped to go over that number. Um, I'm not sure if that will happen, but if there are listeners that are interested in participating and uh, reflecting together on these subjects, then I would like to uh, yeah invite them. And um, when they visit the website, www.artificialintelligence.com, they can find out more about the project. Is there any criteria around the photographs that they are required to be taken by a photographer? Or are you happy for people to take photographs specifically for the project and send them in? Sure, both uh, are options. So there are submissions that uh, are made in collaboration with a photographer and a model, for example, but that doesn't have to be the case. So many people actually just share smartphone pics um, they uh, make a picture of their own wrist with a bracelet and this is perfectly fine. So there are no requirements in that sense um, and people can for sure uh, make the images themselves, definitely. 
And are there any dangers you think of submitting your images? I'm sure this is a question that's going to be asked by anyone thinking about submitting. Yeah, this is a question that comes up quite often. So our first project was in 21 and in only two years time, AI is much more in the media and people are, are much more thinking about it critically, which is a very good thing uh, that I can only support. Um, but we also notice it in the reactions on the on the second project um, that people are more hesitant. What will happen? Will the AI be used to design jewelry instead of me? Uh, will it steal my designs? And I want to say that that we believe that precisely by doing these projects that it it's our aim to reflect on those issues and to also come up with best practices with jewelry communities um, together because these technologies are here and they are probably here to stay and we think it's better to to think about how do we want to work with this and what rules and regulations should be set for ethical practices so that's a that's a an important comment um, and something to, to keep in mind. But I just want to add that it's also important to understand how it works so it doesn't copy the photos that go in the initial data set. It learns from those images, although that is also sounds also very abstract. Um, but so the machine learns from the images and then generate output based on what it learned. So this idea of it might copy my designs yeah, it doesn't doesn't really happen. But yeah, as I've mentioned before, it's valuable, of course, too. I'm happy that people ask these questions. Yeah, yeah. because it's important. Yeah, I, I also think it's important to note that uh, we talked about what the data is. The data, the inputs are pictures of somebody's work, flat 2D pictures, and the output of the model are also digital pictures. So there's never a 3D model that can be 3D printed or anything, it only captures the visual aesthetics of the work. So our aim is never to make realistic uh, copies of existing jewelry pieces of people who submit it. I think also uh, a large difference between our uh, AI and the, the AIs that are available online is that we want consent from every artist's mm -hmm. work we use and all the uh, big generative models online, they did not consent. And basically the law at this moment says that if you train an AI on something, you're not copying it. So it's, it's fine to do it. But now in America, there's a big legal case because someone used Drake voice. Drake is, uh, uh the trained on the voice of Drake and made a new song and, uh, universal wants to have a case against them for using the similarity. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 what they call small AI. So when you generate your own data set, and it's true, we actually when people participate, they have to go through this list of questions, and they indeed have to give consent, which is perhaps a bit like annoying, but but we find it very important because that people that participate are conscious about these things, and that they give their uh, permission for for yeah, that they give their permission uh, for us to. Um, to use their images, and I actually don't even like to to use the word use because it sounds so um, yeah as if we're taking it for our own benefit. While I really see also the generated artistic output, I really see it also as triggers for further reflection and conversation. A range of these artificial intelligence 
tools are now available to all of us and we can debate whether it's a tool or a co-creation method to experiment with, you know, DALI, Midjourney, ChatGPT. How does your research relate to those tools? You've mentioned that there's a difference in terms of consent. Is there any other sort of key differences you see from those tools or? We started before these tools existed. So there's a big difference in that. Our, our data sets are way smaller. So we are in the range of thousands of images. They are on the range of billions, I suppose. It's yeah, it's incredible that this is only possible for billion dollar companies to make these large models. So there's, there's a very big difference in accessibility. Mm. But also in the other way, if you want to work with our kind of algorithms, you need to know how to code a little bit and you have to do a lot of work yourself while with these with these other tools they are provided to you by a site and you don't mm-hmm. you don't have to understand any of the inner workings which makes them accessible in a very different sense yeah true yeah we do the programming ourselves um, and I think it, this is also a big difference sometimes people after a lecture they ask us ah what is the model that we can use to generate these kind of images but then yeah we explain that 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 the code yeah we do the coding in fact and it's different but it's interesting because now with these online accessible tools shapes expectations in a sense what do you think is very exciting about the use of artificial intelligence tools co-creation for creative practitioners that it offers opportunities to collaborate uh, differently with people to co-create pieces with, with many people, which without AI or without the way that we currently work on these projects um, might be very difficult to do that with people worldwide. We also have to think of this concept by Brian Eno, who said that there is a move from genius to seniors. It was not within the context of AI. It was in the 70s, perhaps. Yeah, it was in context of music, I think. Yeah, it was in a musical context, but... We like to apply this idea um, in the current, um, yeah, within the current developments on AI that it's also important to realize that, yeah, this myth of the artist as a genius, maybe people are, I mean, people are always influenced by um, whatever they see and experience and hear and so on. And 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 maybe it's always about this scene um, or this this group, uh, this dialogue. collective, exactly this dialogue. And I think that that working with AI or that these co-creative projects with AI tend to um, somehow strengthen that idea or or maybe makes us a bit more aware of that. And also in jewelry specifically, what I find so exciting is the ornamentations. They are like they seem like these fluid gaseous, uh, floating, forever changing um, pieces, which um, with material with materials would be uh, quite impossible to in fact create. Although I'm still curious if it would be possible to create something like that, who knows, um, in the future. But so for me, it also broadens perspectives on what jewelry can be. And I assume that's the same in different artistic domains as well, um, because it moves beyond these physical limitations um, and in that sense might open perspectives or yeah or encourage very speculative and imaginative scenarios and which is always interesting um, for artists and designers to think about and do you think that's 
particularly also relates to more and more we have digital personas and digital representation online, that there is a space for jewelry design or the rethinking of jewelry for those personas. Yeah, definitely. So in gaming, this has existed for a long time, actually, um, that these game characters have crazy floating accessories. But I definitely see opportunities there for jewelry artists and designers to design jewelry adornment accessories for augmented reality, virtual reality, uh, the digital realm. And there I, it's also very exciting to imagine what, what could this be uh, when you don't have to keep in mind physical um, boundaries, let's say. These tools, these programs, machine learning has sparked a lot of debate around authenticity, originality, We've touched upon it briefly. What are your further thoughts on these sorts of subjects in relation to co-creation? And do you see any dangers? Like you have artists now who, who, if you Google them, you don't find their work. You find more work of prompt images, which references their work. And it gives me an uneasy feeling like... Uh, is the, their their work is used as a quick stylistic tool to make new new images, but it it feels a bit like cheating in a sense. In another sense, for me, if you would take like uh, that artist's old paintings and use that as prompts and make new stuff with it, it, it feels fine. So uh, it's a bit of a gray zone for me. But yeah, I think. Just not using people's work without their consent is like a, would be an easy guideline to to uh, avoid such a conflict in mm -hmm. a sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's interesting to thinking about this concept of creativity and originality. Can computers be creative? Um, can they be more creative than humans? What is originality? Perhaps referring back to this idea of genius rather than genius. We also ask this question ourselves within the context of our projects, because initially the idea, or it's still the idea actually, but we hope to create new types and new acts of adornment in the digital realm, so where the physical and the digital um, are interwoven. But we work with all these existing pieces um, that we train a machine learning algorithm with, and then yeah, this raises the question, can something new emerge from what exists? So what is this newness or this originality? Um, perhaps, perhaps, yeah, sure, maybe something new can emerge from what exists because it's a new approach. Or So it's always this, I, I guess it's also very difficult or perhaps impossible to put it into boxes. Um, what is original? What is new? What is, um, but yeah, authenticity is such a, such a big topic as well and and what makes something authentic it's also a very subjective value perhaps uh, or experience but it's it's also it's it's very important to to keep that in mind like Rex just mentioned um these cases where images are generated that look so similar to artists works it must be horrifying uh, when you google your own name and more uh, images appear that like things you haven't made and that other people made and it's out there and it's communicated perhaps as if it's made by you. So, I mean, it becomes so hard and dangerous as well in that sense. 
and laws and regulations are lagging behind uh, concerning these issues. And I'm not really sure either, yeah, how, how all of this will develop further as well. There was a photography competition and an, an artist had made an artificial intelligence image or using a tool to create an image and submitted it to the photography competition one. And then the clarity had produced the image using artificial intelligence tool and retracted the image because it, the criteria were, of course, to have made an image um, that was original. It's very interesting to discuss and to think about this and what what even is right and wrong in this area. Oh, it made me think of, um, I, didn't, I forgot the brand of the cell phones. I think it was Samsung. And um, one person was exper- experimenting with it. He took pictures of the moon and they were incredible. And he was he, he was starting to, like, he couldn't imagine that the, the, the camera of the phone could take such good pictures of the moon. So he made... He made a very blurry image of the moon on the screen and he, he took a picture of it and out came an incredible picture. Uh, what happened is that Samsung trained an AI to artificially enhance the moon in your pictures. So <laughs> the idea that what our cell phones are taking is reality is, of course, long gone. E- even a normal picture is not reality, but you do feel still there's there's a stronger connection with a with a with the camera then but our phones like insta it started with instagram filters but now there's so much our phones are doing so so much the algorithms i'm doing in the background so this idea of real pictures is also i mean we had photoshop before where people could intervene and adjust things but yeah yeah and i think for me it's also perhaps more about uh, these tools let's say are here how can we work with them or like how, because it's it also reminds me of all these current debates about chat gpt and it's good that it's debated and critically approached but for example that some universities prohibited the use of chat gpt but i also think that maybe we can teach students how to work with it and i don't necessarily mean how to use it um, because they know but i mean like to approach it critically to be aware of of like uh, what does this mean where does this come from and 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 how might it be used in yeah in an ethical way and in thoughtful way in a sense um so and i have a similar feeling with like all these different um yeah with all ai tools i guess that it's important to not necessarily say, it's, like you say, Sophie, like not necessarily say it's good or bad, you use it or don't use it, but like how how to use it well and ethically. I think we have to be realistic that the future is that these tools are used. It's it's like you used to go to the library and now you open Google and you search online. You know, the, these things develop and you can't stop students from using them. So it's indeed much more interesting to start thinking, OK, you know, what skills do we need to teach students in order to engage with these tools? Do you have any thoughts on what skills you have had to gain? I think there's a, a large shift now in that when when I started out, you had to have a mathematical understanding. You had to have coding, you had to learn Python. But... For a lot of the smaller AI algorithms now, you see like large communities pop up and they have YouTube videos and people learn how to use these tools without without learning much much about coding and 
Now with the generative models, those kinds of backgrounds are no longer needed if that is what you want to use, but you're giving up control to these very large companies. And yeah, I, I think like, I, I'm glad that I, uh, I took the time to learn the math and the, the programming to get started with this, uh, tools. Yeah. Exactly. So learning certain skills such as programming, but also reading a lot, there is so much written and said and shown about AI nowadays. I mean, it's in all fields, it, it seems to play an important role. And just to, to understand it better, how it works, what it means, what is behind these technologies, what is visible, but what is made invisible. Like I think that is also very important and to, to have dialogues like we are doing now to, to enter a conversation with different domains to, to think about these um, technologies, I think is also very important, an important, well, maybe it's not really a skill, but it certainly helps me um, to, to work with it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. To anyone listening who may be interested in artificial intelligence, how do you think they can get started? Is there any books you would recommend if you think read a lot and or any YouTube channels? You mentioned the tools themselves have channels, but what are your sort of top resources that you would recommend anyone to, to look into? So I'll definitely share some uh, titles with you that you can then share with the listeners. There are definitely a few books that I would like to recommend, and it's about AI in arts or other artistic or creative practices such as uh, fashion or architecture. There are also titles that really deal with these sustainability questions, with the ethics. Other books really dive into how it works, uh, where it comes from, what is the history of AI. So perhaps it's a bit much to now list those, but I will definitely share it with you. Brilliant. And then I think, yeah, um, we can, of course, also share if there are listeners interested in this, where they might learn themselves how to program. And what's your, you know, when you get started and you think, oh, I'm really into this, what's, what is the realistic expectation of learning? Is it quick to learn or do you need to have some patience because it can take a bit of time? For the coding part, I think, I think lots of people could do it, but I think it's going to be hard if you're not the type of person who doesn't like gets joy out of trying to understand these systems and like seeing it more as a puzzle than like if you if you don't want to if you're not uh, patient enough it would it would be hard but again it's difficult question now because these new ais uh, generative models and such are becoming so accessible that the skills to make stuff with that is more about prompt engineering and that's like totally different from programming it's it's becoming its own field but I, uh, I did not have a, a degree in any uh, in any computer science or in mathematics, and I just started out by myself, uh, following online courses. So it's possible, yeah. Yeah. So prompt engineering is basically when you have these prompt-based models, like we mentioned before, Midjourney, Dali, Stable Diffusion, um, you write a description to generate an images. And so prompt engineering refers to writing this description. And um, it sounds very easy to write a description, and it is. But funny enough, it's often, let's say, non-human language that you need to use 
to be able to generate a certain images. Um, for example, a camera brand can be part of your description, which is something that you would probably not expect if you're making exactly. a computer image that's not even based on reality. Exactly. So you you paradoxically have to imagine how the algorithm would think or how it might be trained or like what would make sense for the algorithm and then maybe almost like reverse engineering try to construct this description to come up with a certain image so that's what prompt engineering um, refers to and like you say it becomes the skill in itself a friend recently told me that there are now um, these um, prompt engineering slams happening where people compete writing the most interesting prompts or generating the most uh, fascinating or exciting images so it really becomes this 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 skill or this this sort of expertise uh, but if you lack inspiration um you can also yeah ask chatgpt to uh, generate a prompt and there are also online marketplaces where you can buy prompts so it becomes this almost this field on its own like uh, so many things are happening only on on that yeah, those models and those prompts. And I saw some very interesting things happen on Midjourney because you can see other people's prompts, which is quite an interesting way of learning um, as well. And someone typed in the essence of mirrors. And what came out was actually really interesting. And I hadn't thought about that being the essence of mirrors. So as again, as a sort of tool for for inspiration or wanting to change your train of thought when you're on something, it is actually really yeah. interesting to with very little prompts. The, when I got like uh, early access to Dali, the first thing I tried, uh, one of the first prompts I wrote was a, a self-portrait of uh, of Dali. And yeah, it, there came some cool results out of it. It was almost like this godlike figure. And yeah, yeah I just like, I did, yeah. I don't see what's coming out of those models as my work, but I, it's really fun to play around with these things and get inspired by them. It becomes like this... Um, Catchbook, yeah. Yeah, or sparring partner. That's yeah. how I often see it. So recently I wrote an article and the format is sort of a, an interview with ChatGPT or like a conversation with ChatGPT. And what I find so interesting is that it's almost as if you are talking to someone else when you are writing. So... It becomes this dialogue, which can definitely help in the writing. But I also noticed how it keeps going in circles because with ChatGPT, it sort of just rephrases what you mentioned earlier. So sometimes these, let's say, more original ideas um, pop up. But often when I read the text, I was thinking, yeah, actually, we are like going a big, bit back and forth, but it's not really going anywhere, anywhere <laughs> else than than these circular uh, movements. Perhaps with the images, it's, it's a bit different with generating AI images, but it's also good to keep in mind that it's trained on data once and what comes out, yeah, is also in a sense, it's, it's still linked to what initially went into the, mm -hmm. the algorithms and models and yeah. And when you think about these, you mentioned, Greg, those things that you create on, on those machine learning tools are not your work. Yeah. Are people using it as their own work? Is it, Do you see that this is getting regulated more or is this certainly also still an area of gray zone? Yeah. I, uh, well, at, at, 
as far as, as uh, I understand it, we asked the lawyer when we did our first project, the output of a machine is not copyrighted by anyone. So if you take the output of a machine and you add one, you change one pixels, you can call it your own work. But the output of a, of the algorithms themselves, they they can never they cannot be an author because they're not a person. And so they they don't connect your creativity in, in engineering these prompts or thinking about these prompts to the output of the image. There is a, a creativity to coming up with the right prompts to do it. Yeah, I think it's a, it's it's a skill in its own right and. I don't think if you use AI for your art that it's less less AI than something else. But um, I think it's it's uh, it's always good to be a little sober about any art form you practice and how much you uh, are inspired by others. There's never anyone who has like an isolated genius thought and reinvents the wheel. It's always a combination of what inspired you before and other people. I think for me, it's, there is also a big di difference, let's say, or or um, when people use those models to to create images and they would present it as their artwork, is it then mentioned that it was in, let's say, collaboration with that model, or is it like illustration by the name of the artist? So I think that is also important to consider, and that for me makes a difference. I think. Yeah, and and another danger there is, I wonder if um, these models become more and more accessible, and when more people start using these uh, same tools, will the generated output start looking the same? Will it sort of um, flatten, generalize? Um... You, I think you already see this. Yeah, that's true. There, there's some kind of blandness to it all, I would say, because. You have so many people making very similar art. If you go uh, for mid-journey, you have to go on their Discord and uh, that way you see what other people are prompting. Mm. And like most of the prompts go in a very similar direction. It's not like sometimes you see someone going for something creative, but most of the time, most of the people who are using it, they're, they're going for very similar type of images, in, in my opinion. Yeah. yeah, and it's true what you mentioned before. Each of these models has a certain style. When you look at Dolly-generated images and Midjourney, for example, it's it's you see the difference um, between those two. Mm -hmm. So even already in that sense, the output is similar because it's it's a similar um, yeah. vibe to the images. Yeah. Let's pretend we could fast forward. 50 years we can change <laughs> <laughs> what role do you see artificial intelligence play in the creative industries jewelry field or in general yeah um yeah that's a very exciting question eh? to 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 speculate yeah things are moving so fast the possibilities of technology they are always expanding and evolving so I guess it's very difficult to to predict what the future may hold, but let's say that we can imagine. Yeah, you are already seeing that more and more people are working with AI in in all fields and also in jewelry. Uh, more people experiment with it, so in a sense, I expect that that will continue. I don't think it will replace crafts, for example, or material pieces. 
both of us still very much believe in the necessity of crafts, craft processes, making things. So I don't really see, I don't see it as an either or uh, story. Perhaps people will even, yeah, return to crafts more as a reaction on, on what is happening um, at the moment. Specifically for jewelry, I wonder how bold or wild could we could we go in, in imagining what might happen? So what if people and machines will interfere more and you could like uh, materialize pieces just by thinking about them in your mind or like perhaps there will be holographic jewelry or uh, wearables. Of course, we already have many um, technology wearables, but yeah, maybe... Um, AI wearables merging with the body or quantum jewelry that can travel through time and space. So yeah, I love to think about these things um, in my own work as well. And even though it seems very far-fetched, I also believe that these kind of wild ideas can plant a tiny seed that can have an interesting or huge impact later on. So I come out of uh, music and mainly electronic music and AI and music is not that far as images at the moment, so that's not what I, what I want to say. But the cost and the tools for making music have dramatically cheapened over the years. So what you see is you have a lot more people making music, and it's a lot harder for an artist to make a living out of it. But on the other side, uh, lots of people could now make a professional record, which was more than 60, 70 years ago, you had a major, you had to have a major label backing you to have a, even a recording studio. So in a sense there, I don't know, it's uh, at the same time, it's interesting, but it's also uh, like very hard. Everyone can now upload a song on SoundCloud and they might've worked at it 10 minutes or they took maybe half a year to make that song. So there's a flood, a flood of new music. And maybe I can see that the, AI art generates a flood of, of images and ideas. But yeah, I, I I think that we will always be drawn towards material stuff, handmade pieces, like the, the, the basic philosophy of somebody taking the time for something, I think that inspires us and we're also always drawn towards it in all types of things that might be food or something else. Like the you can now you have a factory pie which is a lot cheaper and it has all the things you need for a pie, especially sugar. But still, lots of people will pay more and go to a baker for a for a handcrafted pie. I I think there still will be room for that. Yeah. Yeah, and I think you raise a very important issue: the time-consuming aspect. Yeah, it's just different ways of of making as well. It can go so fast with these uh, AI tools. Um, I've had these conversations before with, with colleagues and friends um, questioning how is it different from crafts processes that you just, you write this prompt and with one in a few seconds, this image emerges. Some people say, yeah, that's the reason why I also find it boring in my artistic practice because it's so easy. You can generate an endless amount of images. Um, it becomes more about selecting and curating, perhaps, I think, in that sense. Yeah, I think that's an important uh, thing that you just mentioned, that this time, time, it, the experience of time is just also very different, or maybe not experience, but 
um, the time that 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 you will need to create something and and the value that we attach to that as well. What are your plans for the research project in the near future? Is there anything listeners should keep an eye out for? Yeah, definitely. So as a collective, we are always working on different projects. But I would like to yeah, refer back to the organisms project that I explained earlier to so the call and would like to invite everyone that is listening um, if they are interested in participating in the research. Like I say, it's a it's a collective and we're still also figuring out what does that mean exactly and um, how can people also contribute in different ways or yeah, not only by sharing their images, but perhaps, yeah, we definitely would love to reflect together with people on these issues because that's that's part of the research. So we're also looking into how can we make this into a platform um, that works in that way. And then if people want to stay up to date, uh, I would like to refer to the website, so www.artificialintelligence.com and the um, Instagram page, Artificial Intelligence with an underscore between artificial and intelligence, because that's where we, yeah, we um, we post projects, uh, lectures that are coming up. So if people are interested, they can always keep an eye on that. For our new collection, we are taking pictures of jewelry on the skin. I think this will be give us very different results. And yeah, we're curious because you have something in mind, but it might turn out completely different. And this is actually also a lot of fun because you put in these images and then what will come out. So um, I'm actually looking forward to that. We are still in the process of collecting the images. So we will need a few more months to also uh, process the images, the data, let's say, and um, to train the machine learning algorithm. But I'm very much looking forward and curious to see um, the generated output. And then that will be presented. I cannot say anything more specifically about that yet, but um, we will present both. Yeah, both the submitted images um, will be shown as well as the uh, generated output. So, are you curating the images, or is it all your selection criteria? Are if you've submitted them, we're using them. Yeah, so that's why I like to say that it's not a competition. Um, perhaps the words call or open call make it sound as if it is, but it's really an invitation and we don't select the images. So um, all images are, um, yeah, all images are selected, all images are used. We do have a few more technical requirements. So um, it should be pictured on the skin. So when people send in images of jewelry on a, for example, just a white background or um, worn on clothing, uh, unfortunately for this project, we uh, decided to not use those images because we really want this skin focus. And then ideally the photos are cropped in a square shape. This is what is needed to, to be able to train the algorithm. So uh, square shaped crops of jewelry on skin uh, in yeah close up so that the jewelry piece fills as much much space uh, as possible is actually uh, what we are looking for for this project. And are you doing anything to try and get a lot of diverse inputs? Yeah, definitely. So we really want to connect with people worldwide. We contacted schools worldwide. Yeah, we really, I mean, 
we want all skin tones. <laughs> That's very important. And we try to, to reach uh, people from all over the world. So yeah, in that listeners can also help us by, by sharing the call with other people that they think might be interested in participating or, or just want to know more about the research. With ChatGPT providing us opportunities to swiftly find answers to questions without browsing the net for hours, and other AI tools able to convince us the Pope is rocking a white puffer jacket, it is clear artificial intelligence will both be making our lives easier, funnier, and provide opportunities for improvements to various tasks and services. But it also can have serious dangers. From biased data to a reality where we may not know what is real or not anymore, as well as a range of dangers we probably wouldn't quite be able to grasp yet. It is important artists and designers are engaging in both the use and exploration of machine learning, AI, and the debate around these tools and their roles in society today. This is not a simple task, and for their efforts in bringing these tools or co-creating with artificial intelligence and machine learning to the forefront of the jewelry industry. And for speaking to me today, I would greatly like to thank you both, Annalyn and Greg. It was a pleasure to hear what you are working on, and we look forward to see your research progressing. Thank you so much, Sophie. Next month, I'll be joined by another guest. So watch this space to find out who it is. But for now, this was Sophie Boons for the BHA podcast episode titled Artificial Intelligence with Dr. Annalyn Sun and Greg Scherlings. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful day.